0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video podcast end of year, end of decade special. Uh, my name is Dan Martin, podcaster, old person who has lived through at least one decade, and special effects artist, podcast person, etc. I am joined, as ever, by my wonderful co-host
1: Sam so Ashurst, and I am a writer. I'm a director. I used to be uh, a member of the Access Media, but I have recovered from that cult. And I am here to bring you my top 10 films of 2019, (laughs) along with my dear, dear friend, Dan Martin. Now, Dan, why don't you explain the rough structure of this episode? Because it is uh, very different to our normal episodes.
0: Yes. Well, so Sam and I have done uh, a couple of these before, and in the past we've always wrestled to work out who goes first. Um, But now that we're having to record separately, uh, Sam had the idea of flipping a coin, which I think is really good. Um, Basically, we're going to list our favorite films uh, from the last year, all genres. We'll start with number 10, and we'll work our way up to the heady heights of number one um it's obviously those i'm sure a lot of people have done these lists now that's you know twitter and stuff uh it's an absolute nightmare choosing just 10 films especially in a year that's been as strong as this year and then afterwards we're going to do something equally as difficult where we do our top ten of the last decade as well. Yeah, so... Because it, we're so
1: masochists. Top ten of the decade will come in extra features and uh, fear not, we're not going to go into as much detail on those. Um, it's just Sam speaks entirely for himself. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I mean, this is what we discussed before, but um, it doesn't Breaking matter. Breaking the rules it doesn't the matter. And now, as we do every year, this sweet Arrowhead... Uh, to choose the order of, of who goes first, um, I am going to flip a coin. Normally, it's Dan that flips the coin, but this time it's me. So, prepare yourself for some shaking um, it up, incredible oral podcasting. Here we go. I'm going to flip a coin that you can't see. Uh, Dan, what would you like to call?
0: I am not just go with heads.
1: Heads. Okay, That's landed on the floor. And it is heads. It is indeed heads, which is what I normally go for. I've never won one of these fucking coin tosses (laughs) in three years.
0: But Dan, uh, uh, would you like to go first or second? Uh, Well, why don't I just let you do what you want? Because <laughs> am sad about the toy cost. <laughs> no, go Happy on, Christmas. go
1: on, go on. You know, I like <laughs> rules. Though this year, uh, I'm not, I'm not, you uh, may notice, uh, precious, lovely, wonderful, beloved Arrowhead, that I've not listed any rules as I normally do by this point. And that's because I no longer care about rules. So we can pick whatever we want, um, whenever we want. And, uh... You'll be
0: delighted to know, Sam, that a lot of my films from this year aren't from this year. So there you go. That's Right off the bat, you're going to love that lack of um, yeah, perfect. I'll, I'll go first, I guess. Great. What what have um, you got? Well, first, some some rules. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I have decided that I'm not going to include any films I worked on in my top ten. Okay. There is a second part to this rule that will come about in extra features, <laughs> but for now. Just know that the omissions of... like I've worked on some films I'm very, very proud of, but I'm not going to let any of them go into my top ten of the year. So. Fair, fair. With that said, number ten is Riley Stern's The Art of Self-Defence, which I saw quite recently. I, I always struggle distancing myself from pictures I've seen very recently because obviously the experience of a film changes as it becomes a memory rather than something that's just happened. So I've, I've tried to be a little uh, tough on things I've seen recently. Um, I really, really liked The Art of Self-Defence. I think I mentioned it in a recent podcast as maybe a have seen it recently recommendation. Uh, It's about a young man uh, played by Jesse Eisenberg who gets mugged and seeking uh, like the confidence and put in a strength to go back out into society after this unpleasant experience, um, signs up for a martial arts course, which is a, a very weird place full of very weird people. And it's one of those sort of deadpan comedies, which I'm so very fond of, um, where everything's a little bit off, everyone's a little bit weird, and there's a lot of hidden agendas that sort of come out through the narrative. Yeah, it's really, really nice. Um, very, quite, quite slow, quite gentle, but very funny and very weird. It's everything I want.
1: Great. Lovely. I haven't actually seen that one yet, um, and you did recommend it, so uh, it is on my list of things to watch. Uh, Number 10 for me is the first of two Charlie Steeds movies. And I should mention my rules, actually. Uh, My rules this year, uh, I don't have to worry about films that I've worked on because um, the film that I worked on this year isn't out until next year uh, when it will probably be at number one in my list, let's face it. Uh,
0: It's weird having your favourite of a decade before the decades even started, isn't it? Yeah, it is so (laughs) strange. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but um, uh, my rule is uh, that basically I wanted to include as many uh, kind of UK indies as possible this year um, because I feel like uh, these lists are very personal things and, um, you know, uh, as the first time we did this, my list was incredibly personal because I think I managed to fit like 17 or 18 films into my top 10 the first time we did this. Um, yeah, uh, and that was to try and sort of throw in some uh, slightly more obscure recommendations into the sort of more blockbustery stuff I was doing. Um, but I don't really care about blockbusters this year, um, so I've gone for mainly uk indies and spoiler alert confession alert a lot of these films have been made by my friends but i will not let the fact that they are my friends affect me i am picking these films because i love them and uh, wearing them as a badge of honor so uh on that note i'm going to start at number 10 with the barge people by charlie steeds which played at fright fest earlier this year now, this is a really, really fun 80s throwback that basically feels like a lost VHS tape has been discovered. Uh, I did the intro and Q&A for Charlie's film at Fright Fest, and it was such a, a joyous experience that I've kind of associated the memories of doing that with the film, um, and, and you know, the film is fantastic. Like, if you want a really fun mix of slasher and creature feature with kind of Rob Zombie vibes, then The Barge People is a great Friday night film. Um, but, yeah, what kind of really made it special um, at Fright Fest was kind of the Q&A afterwards. And it was an audience full of people who didn't just want to consume they also wanted to create so we had so many questions about how charlie made the film about the practical effects about the location all that stuff um and it felt like we had a whole audience of kind of budding future filmmakers and that was really special so uh If you do want to make films um, on a very low budget, the budget on The Barge People is ridiculously low. And you'll have heard Charlie talk about the making of it on our special live Arrow Video Fright Fest podcast extravaganza from earlier in the year. We had Charlie on that and he gave us a lot of detail about how he made The Barge People. So uh, I won't go into that. But if you haven't seen it yet, I think it should be coming out early next year uh i don't think it has a release date in the uk yet um but i think it's out in the states soon but yeah the barge people at number 10 of my favorite films of 2019 dan what is next for you uh
0: next is probably so it i don't think it was quite my favorite film at frightfest this year but it's the but i yeah i really really enjoyed it uh the one of the films that pipped it at Fright Fest hasn't made it into my top 10. And it's just because of the way these things stick with you, you know? And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier with uh, like needing a bit of distance before you can really assess how you feel about a film long-term. Because a film you love immediately can just just fade from memory. Or a film you really didn't like can start to hold stuff as it like, can mean more to you as it lingers in your mind or whatever. So not to, you know, be too highfalutin about it because it is ultimately a genre picture but it is also a very personal picture to the director, it's Ant Timpson's Come to Daddy and I do think that some of Ant's story about where the the script came from uh, is is one of the things that endeared me to it but um, it's a really good, again like like weak people doing stupid things and bad people doing insane things kind of picture it's about a guy who has uh, gone up to see his father um for the first time in uh like in, in his adult life his estranged father uh and while visiting his father out in the woods his father is very weird to him when he gets there and then his father drops dead uh and he ends up being told he has to spend the night uh in the house with the father before the coroner's office can come and take the body away um which is something that sort of happened to ant um he's got a fantastic turn by michael smiley in it who's who's Great always um and it's yeah it's it's slightly over the top, but in a very good way it 's quite extreme uh and it's very very funny with a, a decent amount of pathos and self examination in it as well uh, and it also has a biro in a bag of poo, so you know what else could you ask for exactly,
1: yeah, grand. The next one on my list is another Charlie Steeds film. He made three films this year, so um i've put two of them in my top ten. Uh, and An English Haunting is probably his best film yet. I won't go too much into it because um, I saw it at a kind of cast and crew and friends screening, Um, so it hasn't been on general release yet, but it will be on DVD in March. Um, I think it's going to go into a load of supermarkets and stuff, so um, it will be there for your viewing pleasure. But, yeah, it's a really, really lovely ghost story. Um, Which kind of both subverts your expectations and rewards them. Um, It's kind of very elegantly made. um, And yeah, some of the best shots uh, Charlie's ever done. And yeah, it's just beautifully creepy and fun. Uh, And as a special treat this year, we haven't done this before, but um, I kind of reached out to um, directors who were on my list. I didn't reach out to all of them. Um, For example, I haven't reached out to Quentin Tarantino. Spoiler alert, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is on my list. But um, I did reach out to um, some of the UK directors and Charlie was one of them. And I asked Charlie to name his favourite film of 2019. And
2: here's what he had to say. Hi, this is Charlie Steeds, and my favourite film of the year is definitely The Lighthouse. I saw it at the Odeon Leicester Square as part of the London Film Festival, and there was just an incredible atmosphere there, and when it started, this black and white photography in the square aspect ratio just made the whole thing feel completely unique and kind of an unusual experience. And lots of people praise films for having great cinematography, but The Lighthouse is a film with actually incredible camera work, and the shots are just mind-blowing. And most of all, the performances are incredible. Willem Dafoe should get all the awards for what he does in this film. It's pure insanity, and I love it.
1: So, yeah, uh, great pick there. Uh, I loved The Lighthouse, but I'm actually saving The Lighthouse for next year's list. Um, But, yeah, it's a great pick. It's an incredible film. And it may come up again in someone else's picks later
0: on. Uh, But, Dan, what is next from you? (laughs) Next for me is a German picture that I uh, just had a little festival run in the UK. So it has played UK cinemas, but it's uh, got a general release early next year. I'll probably tweet when that happens. Uh, I was absolutely blown away by it. It's uh, 606 Films, uh, which is uh, co-run by a a friend of Sam and Mines, uh, Pat Kelman. It was Pat that sent me a copy to watch uh, called System Crasher you seen system crasher yet sam
1: i haven't yet no but oh, you'll um, you'll
0: you'll love it you'll love it
1: i've heard so many amazing things about yeah. It, yeah
0: it's it's just great it's system crasher is a translation of the term used uh, in germany for a child that uh, who's in the system so an orphan or a foster child or something like that but who can't be placed because they are such a problem um so they are called a system crasher and it's about a, a little girl with a, a sort of something obviously terrible happened to her in the past, uh, which is only slightly examined in the film. It's mostly about her trying to find a place in society and the people trying to help her. She's got awful anger issues. Um, and it's some of the tensest filmmaking and some of the most touching filmmaking I've seen this year. It's just exceptional. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Watch that. It's also beautiful, and it's got an incredible soundtrack. I think it's been winning awards for the soundtrack as well. It's really good. Um, yeah system crashes out early next year that's general that's
1: brilliant that's brilliant yeah i uh actually share a kind of apartment with pat uh every year at Cannes, and so i was there while he was kind of negotiating this one and i remember like his reaction to seeing it for the first time and you know how eager he was to to sign it and how happy he was when he got it um yeah it really really touched him um it's a really special film and yeah you know it, it's important to remember that the people in acquisition and distribution at, at this kind of level are as passionate about films as as the filmmakers and and the fans like us and the people who listen to his podcast um so it is kind of really important to support these kinds of you know small unusual films that maybe have a, a limited cinema run because, you know, they get squeezed out by the bigger films. I did you see the article this week, Dan? Um, just to have a small conversation in between us just listing loads of films. Did you see the article? I think it was on Variety. Um, I'm not sure, though. But it basically revealed what a percentage Disney are getting from Rise of Skywalker at cinemas this time around. Do you know how much they're getting?
0: Oh, my God, it's fucking crazy. I don't know. But, like, I did see numbers about the amount the amount of subscribers they signed up to Disney Plus in the first month. Yeah. Which looks like, based on my calculations, means they're going to be making about a quarter of a billion a month just on the subscriptions. And given that they own all of that content, there's no licensing fees. Yeah. So that's just
1: fucking stupid. <laughs> and, and considering that the only thing on that streaming service is The Mandalorian, and uh, people are already saying that that's going a bit shit... Um, Obviously, we don't watch Disney Plus because uh, we don't have access to it in this country. But um, no, is
0: is it not? I thought I've seen it pop up in the crossbar on the PlayStation. In um, on I I think you one can, of the you, can, I think you can you can you probably can. sign up for it now, but it's not going to be oh, available okay.
1: here yeah. until I think March, just because of various licensing things. Um, But
0: but I don't. What the fuck? They own it. How is that a licensing issue? um, Like I, I I feel like with that where they own it, it, like releasing everywhere at once makes so much more sense. Like we've all seen pictures of Baby Yoda now, like which is the big sell for the Mandalorian, as far as I can tell. And people are starting to like backlash against it. They would have, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. But I mean, who cares, right? They're making so much money.
1: (laughs) I think they. I think it's probably the case that they've licensed certain stuff out to UK territories um, and. Uh, are just waiting for those deals to run out probably
0: oh uh, yeah like other content I guess
1: exactly yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's my best guess but also they have um, they already have this I think it's called Disney life or something like that they, they have a streaming service here that Disney plus I think is going to replace so um, I'm not an expert in in, in the, the business practices of Disney but would you like to know the percentage that they're taking from cinemas for showing the rise of Skywalker
0: Oh, so this is a, this is a this is the deal they have enforced upon cinemas to be C- allowed to show Rise of the Skywalker* rather than because they have to share the rights with a third party. C- outside correct. Outside of the okay, yeah, I mean it's probably something grotesque like ninety or something.
1: It's well, you've gone high there, Dan. Um, Sorry, it's, it's normally something. So Dan and I both used to work at cinemas. Used to work yeah. as ushers. I trained as a projectionist. I think that you did as well, did you, Dan? No, no, no. Yeah, well, I, I trained as a projectionist just before <laughs> um, they they stopped needing projectionists. Uh, but, you know, I, I used to hear about kind of uh, the weird deals that certain studios made even back then. And like 25 to 30% was kind of around about the figure. Um, yeah. And that's kind of continued. Uh, Disney uh, are taking 65%. Um, from cinemas and they're also insisting that in order to show Rise of Skywalker you need to keep it in cinemas for four weeks at a minimum Um, which you know isn't too bad for the multiplexes but for the smaller cinemas the the kind of more independent cinemas uh, spread out across the country uh, that could be death, you know. You want to show it because people want to see it, you know, they're expecting to see it at their favourite local cinema and you want to keep those people happy. But you've got to show it for four weeks, it's the only film you're showing and you're losing, you
0: know, 65%. It's, it's, um, I mean, it's I kind of a mean I suggest putting a 14-inch... Four, three, CRTV, CRT TV in a broom cupboard, and and moving it to that screen for weeks two, three, and four, <laughs> and and yeah, exactly, and and this is the thing, like, oh yeah, you can have you can have seventy five percent of that one seat in that broom
1: cupboard. So it's it's just important, I think, for for people to understand that you know a lot of people, part of the reason, because it was a, a big debate this year, and Scorsese talked about you know Marvel movies being the death of cinema and all that. Um, or not even being cinema, which is another conversation. But these are the kind of sort of uh, equations that that people who run cinemas have to take on board. So the reason that films like Rise of Skywalker and Avengers Endgame or whatever it is run in every single screen
0: and are so ubiquitous and
1: are so ubiquitous is because of this kind of these kind of restrictions that are being put on them. So. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm starting to see a little bit of uh, a backlash against this stuff. Um, Edgar Wright wrote a really great piece, and this was for Variety um, about Ryan Johnson's um, Knives Out, and he said that audiences at the moment it seems to be the the main choice is between. Um, what he calls green screen pantomimes, which i thought was quite a <laughs> lovely turn of phrase or what he calls uh broccoli movies which um you know are good for you but can sometimes be a bit dull and jen
0: jen yeah. calls them vegetable films there That's you go same
1: same deal same Eat deal your veg exactly Eat your veg is good for you yeah. exactly and and he was sort of uh, expressing how knives out is more like these kind of thrillers that we used to get uh in the 70s um and i don't know if it's on your list knives out um if you haven't, I haven't seen, seen it, it yet but right. no i really want to I, I feel like it will be um be up your street it's it's the kind of thing that you really like but
0: um yeah everything about it sounds like it would be good for me
1: we have gone way off track here i can't even remember how how we got onto this but shall i move on to my next one uh number nine
0: number eight number eight
1: yes so I had Barge People
0: at 10, English audience. Yes, at 9. Yes, you're completely right. And now... I, I confused myself because System Crasher is actually my number 7. Ah. And then I, so I, I just got them out of order. Anyway, Yay! Sorry, <laughs> I'll pick that up.
1: <laughs> um, oh, that's how we got into it. System Crasher and lovely System Pat Crasher and, 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 yeah. And how he's trying to bring these kind of slightly more difficult films um, or, you know, more challenging films that aren't, I must stress cinematic vegetables the passion that, that pat had for system crasher uh, suggests to me that it's not a eat your veg movie can you confirm that dan
0: no um i would say that for a lot of people system crasher will definitely be an eat your greens movie but I, but i have a bit of a problem with that phrasing because there is an inbuilt assumption that they're not while well, they're good for you and worthy that they're not fun and the thing is system crasher is not going to be a particularly easy watch it deals with some very difficult subjects and it's in you know and it's subtitled and it's you know it's not a blockbuster by any standard but it is an exceptionally good film and it is a film that will leave you feeling really good so in, it's yeah in, in, in it's, that go on yeah so well it's so it is a film that i think a lot of people would refer to maybe as a as an eat your greens movie or a, or a broccoli movie but it is also a really fucking great film that is not, not just good because it's worthy and you should see it, but it's also actually just a very good film to go and watch.
1: In that case, I don't think it fits the, the definition of the broccoli movie, which was Edgar Wright's definition of it, which is what I was originally discussing. Um, because I've not read
0: the article. it just means films made by Cubby Broccoli.
1: Because, um, as I kind of mentioned uh, earlier on in the conversation uh, he said that it's films that are uh, supposedly good for you but are quite dull um, and so that's why I was saying that I don't think System Crash it fits into that category um, because from Pat's reaction and from even the trailer that I've seen it oh, does, yeah. does not look dull So, but um, but,
0: yeah. but I find that a lot of people films that people say are dull aren't dull it's just that those people don't like whether it's foreign language cinema or you know... <laughs> Because it's so subjective, I think that the division is more between cerebral and non-cerebral. And you've got your, your non-cerebral explosions and fun and blockbuster and sometimes green screen pantomime. And then on the other side of it, you've got the thinky films, which a lot of people consider boring because they don't want to think. They want to sit in front of a screen and turn their brain off. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like a lot of those films. But, but I would say it's definitely more on the sort of the, the thinky end of the spectrum.
1: I, I so, just, yeah, I, I, think, I just think it's slightly more nuanced than that. So I don't think Edgar Wright is saying that he doesn't like films with subtitles or he doesn't like films that make him think. No, I don't think he is. I, I think he's talking about a very specific subsection of movies. Did he give that, any
0: examples?
1: No, and he didn't uh, give any examples for green screen pantomimes uh, uh, either. I don't but think he needs just, to. <laughs> exactly, and I don't think he needs to on the other side either. Um, I think that I don't think that for a second he's saying that Burning, because it's subtitled and long, is dull. It's just a, a kind of a specific <laughs> subcategory of, of films that... Um, I,
0: again, I'd, I'd put Burning in, in the category that a lot of people would consider. I, I, it, I, it, I, more so I, the <laughs> System Crasher because it's a lot longer as well. I, I absolutely
1: slower. know you would. I'm just saying, I don't think he would. Um, and, and that's it. So, cool. sh- shall I move on to my next one? Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes. yes. Right,
1: so, uh, Death of a Vlogger which is uh, yet another example of a a UK indie director who's worked miracles on a low budget. Uh, Death of a Vlogger was the scariest film uh, I saw at this year's Fright Fest, uh, working with a really simple premise, uh, which is that a YouTuber is haunted, or is he? And it plays with ideas of trust online, so it's kind of truly a, a horror movie for our times. And there is one scene in particular that gave me massive goosebumps. It's been so long since a moment in a film gave me that instant reaction. And so, uh, yeah, death of a vlogger is really special in that way. It's also special because um, Graham also stars in the film as well as directing it. And, um, yeah, the the balance he gets between humour and um, and, and, and horror, uh, like, True funny humour and and true scary horror is really impressive. So uh, I actually quickly sat down with the director, Graham Hughes, and asked him to choose his favourite film of the year, and here's what he said. Uh, Graham, uh, congratulations. I loved your film, Death of a Vlogger, and it is in my top ten of the year. Uh, But what is in your top ten of the year? What's your number one film of 2019?
3: Well, first off, thanks. Like, delighted that you enjoyed it. Um, so I was a bit blindsided by this question and was trying to remember which films I'd seen this year and the obvious answer was going to be Tigers Are Not Afraid but I think everyone's going to like mention that so I saw an amazing film last night called Last Breath oh wow yeah yeah um, which is a documentary about um, a sat diving mission to fix an oil rig uh, that goes horribly wrong and I don't want to say any more about it but um, yeah, it involves like reconstruction and archive footage and it is like so tense and so moving and it made me cry and uh, yeah me and my partner were just on the edge of our seats
0: for about an hour just yeah terrified so there we go dan what is next from you so i got this one and system crash for the wrong wrong way round although to be completely honest they're so tight it doesn't really matter that they're reversed uh this again is a picture i've already mentioned uh, on the podcast as a recommendation i saw it at the overlook festival in uh, new orleans earlier this year um it's andrew patterson's the vast of night um every now and then a director makes a movie um where you when you see it you're like well hollywood's going to get this guy on board pretty soon like there's no way he's not going to be grabbed hold of in the same way that the guy that did mama and it um was sort of whipped up by del toro uh someone like you know whether it's an ambeline or whoever are going to grab hold of uh, of patterson and 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 have him making big, big budget stuff in a blink of an eye. I suspect. Um, Vast of Night is uh, a very lean, um, not not hugely expensive, but but looks gorgeous. Like they spend their money very wisely. Um, sci-fi homage to the sort of tells of the unexpected Twilight Zone kind of narratives. Um, to the extent that it has a very interesting framing narrative, as well. Uh, that's that's more overtly Twilight Zone than than the rest of the movie and it's about a, a small american town in the 50s and all that comes with that and the entire town is spending the evening in the in the like the gym because the the basketball team there is going to be uh playing off against a neighboring towns team and it's a it's a big deal so you know everyone wants to be there so the town's virtually deserted and the only two people really left around are uh, a young man who runs the local radio station uh, and uh, a young girl, a bit younger than him, who is a big fan of radios and sort of of a bit of a fan of this DJ, but who, in the evenings, covers for her mother on the local telephone exchange, plugging in the wires when people make calls. And so she is the one responsible for connecting the callers that this radio guy gets on his radio station during this very quiet period in the town. And they start to pick up a weird interference on the radio signal Um, and an anonymous caller phones up and says, I know what that noise means. I've heard that once before when I was working on a secret government facility down in in New Mexico. And the rest of the movie is a sort of uh, a, a breakneck adventure with these two running around an otherwise abandoned town, occasionally interacting with people who've left the game for one reason or another, or going into the, the space where the game is happening it's really really beautifully realized it's got a fantastic arc and, and the ending's very satisfying and ah, oh, it's just a lovely lovely picture it's so so good looking and um yeah just really lovely
1: fantastic i will Not- check
0: it out yeah, I don't I, I haven't I like I I thought it would be a shoe in for Frightfest. Um Paul said he wasn't able to get hold of it for it. Um I don't know what's happening with it. I sus- again, I suspect it's it's been being snapped up, but we just haven't heard about it yet. But I think we'll be able to see it next year.
1: Cool. Excellent. Well uh, I'll keep an eye out for it. Uh, now at number seven on my list is The Devil's Machine aka Automata. Uh, this is another unbelievable UK indie. Uh, now The Devil's Machine feels like Kubrick directing Hellraiser. It, The scope and uh, the, the beauty of this film uh, has gone kind of really underrated I think. Um, it's kind of had a festival run and got good reviews and i'd really urge everyone listening to this to read anton patel's review of automata um on his website it's just a a as ever with Anton. It's just a beautiful review. Um, But yeah, uh, uh, it's made by my friends. Uh, Sarah Daly's stunning script takes on some big themes, including how abuse can echo through time, the power of patriarchy, and even the machinations of cinema. Um, The film contains deep darkness, even if director Laurie Brewster lights it like Fassbinder's Lola with candy colours covering the set. Yeah, I just love it so much, and and this film changed my life a little bit, which is uh, another reason it's in my top ten of the year. It's one of the key reasons I decided to move to Scotland to work with Hex, who released Frankenstein's Creature. And, yeah, together we are going to bring back the spirit of Hammer Horror to the UK. Uh, That's the plan. So, yeah, hopefully more films like The Devil's Machine, a.k.a automata will be in the future and i haven't actually asked laurie brewster to choose his favorite film of 2019 yet um but if i do have time uh, before mike edits this um
4: here's what he picked Oh gosh, now I must think of what my favourite film for 2019 was. And of course it has to be a horror film because that is the genre I work in. And it's a challenging one because there's so many great filmmakers and yet there's so little films that come to mind. When I think of what stands out, that's the challenging thing. There is a, 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 a normality, even on the independent horror scene, that few films take the chance and the risk of breaking through with peculiar dialogue and remarkable and strange intellectual goals in a manner designed to resonate with audiences in a very special and often disturbing way. Um, there's some films such as Charlie Steed's Winter Skin that I thought were great fun because of their their witty and and bizarre dialogue. Films that were comfortable with being eccentric, and that is the thing that's missing from most independent horror films and all mainstream horror films. But if I have to give credit to one particular title, it has to be, as yet unreleased, A Little More Flesh. A Little More Flesh is one of the most uh, daring, uh, extreme, and subversive explorations of what... Is misogyny, and 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 what is the role of 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 men and women working together to produce art, and it does that in a in an exceptionally funny, disturbing, and interesting way that is impossible to predict. It's not a film that takes you on a binary moral journey; it takes you through a labyrinth of disturbing choices, and that makes a little more flesh by Sam Ashurst, uh, a wonderful filmmaker. My favourite for 2019. So, Dan, what is next for you?
0: Nice to see uh, Johnny Hansler in Automata as well. Oh, exactly, Um, yeah. What have you worked with? Oh, of course, Devil's Business. Yeah, he's in Devil's Business. Yeah, Yeah. he he is.
1: Have you seen um, uh, Automata yet?
0: No, it's on my list, but I haven't seen it
1: Yeah, Hansler is... It looks beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful. He's unreal in that film. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. Uh, so, yeah, well done, Jonathan Hansler. Right, what is next for you, Dan? Uh,
0: it's another one I've talked about before. It's another one I saw at um, Overlook, although I'd already seen it at Cannes this year. Uh, it's Greener Grass, uh, ah, which, is, yeah. Yeah, which is getting a UK release uh, early next year, I think, on physical media from a, I can't remember their name, Brighton-based distribution company. Anyway, uh, Jocelyn DeBurr and uh, Dawn Luebe, Lubi Luebe, Um have made a fantastic movie. It's There's a short film version of it that you can see online if you search for Greener Grass uh, that was done as I I don't know if it was done as a proof of concept or if this like grew out of something that was done as a standalone piece, but it's that kind of like adult swim-type humour. It's mm-hmm. got a Too Many Cooks vibe to it. It's very, very bright. It feels like that kind of cardboard cut-out it it could be the uh, it could be the town from the beginning of Edward Scissorhands, hands but with the the saturation turned way up oh wow and it's yeah it's all like petty infighting between adults there's a murder mystery going on in the background uh there's weird trading of children and a little bit of metamorphosis uh it's super fucking weird <laughs> and it's just uh yeah it's just fantastic i i really loved it i was pretty much the only person in the cinema that can i went along to it and um and asked if I could could go in and watch it, and they let me in. And I think there was myself, two others, and the woman representing the sales agent for it. And she and I were fucking rolling in the aisles at it, and the other two people <laughs> were a little more stony faced. So uh, I think it might be one of those ones that's a little divisive, but it's um yeah, it's that's fucking great,
1: brilliant, excellent. Yeah, I remember you because you you sort of did a flying visit to Cannes because you were working on something else. I seem to remember at the time. Yeah.
0: And the Possessor was having it, was, was in the market there. So I went out and stayed with Brandon right. and, uh, and Kareem and, and Rob. And um, yeah, I was there for like two days and I saw three films, four films. Yeah, uh, yeah Green Grass was the, the top, top winner.
1: Yeah, I remember you uh, uh, coming out of that and being very excited by it. So I look forward to finally seeing it myself. Uh, and speaking of films that you love, Dan, uh, my number six choice uh for my top ten of twenty nineteen is climax. Now um, we talked about this last year because I think it was number one on your list last year. It was number um, one on my list, yeah. But it, it got its uh UK release this year via Arrow Video, so it qualifies for my top ten going by the rules I used to stick to back then that I've now thrown out the window. Um uh, and yeah I, I won't bag on about climax because you've already heard us talk enough about it. But um Yeah, I I, I loved it so much. I referenced it in the film I made this year, A Little More Flesh, so keep an eye out for that. Um, Yeah, it's just a a, a magnificent, transgressive, surreal, beautifully made movie that references so much stuff that I love, um, including, obviously, Possession. Yeah, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen Climax, but if you haven't, then uh, maybe buy it in the Boxing Day sales Um, if it is indeed in any Boxing Day sales. I don't know. Do Boxing Day (laughs) sales still exist? I don't Um, know. Is that a thing? Yeah, I mean, I used to love going to HMV on Boxing Day, and, um, yeah, I'm not sure how much of a thing that is anymore. But anyway, just by climax is what I'm saying, Uh, my beloved, wonderful, precious Arrowhead.
0: Dan, what is next for you? Uh, Number five for me uh, is while I was out in uh, Toronto uh, shooting the film that I was in Cannes, to see the marketing screen, like not the whole film the like the little trailer they got together for, I was put up in a an apartment round the corner from the Bell Light box, which is the Toronto film festival uh cinema that kind of plays their, like festively type films all year round, and it uh and we were shooting splits, so I'd start at like you know one in the afternoon and shoot through to midnight or shoot through to you know whatever one in the morning, and so I could go and catch matinees before going to see. Going on to set, and one of those films I saw was uh, Gan B's, uh Long Day's Journey into Night, mm-hmm. which is unfucking believable. It's so beautiful. It's got noir elements. It's a Mandarin language Chinese uh, picture. It's quite long. Drops into uh, it's almost like three hours long, maybe. But it um, it drops into three D about halfway through, and once it goes into three D, the entire film is in one shot. <laughs> Oh wow! The, the entire rest of the film is in one continuous shot, including like Steadicam and drones and all that kind of stuff. But but beautiful transitions. It's, oh, it's just gorgeous. A, a guy returns to his uh, to his hometown or a hometown um sort of to catch up with a friend uh sort of and sort of gets embroiled with a girl he knew from before maybe he had some feelings for her in the past she's got some slightly weird connections but the the film is really about where like how much you can trust your memory and what is what are dreams and how are reality and dreams separated yeah it's a it's a very sort of mesmeric film um, and it's really fucking beautiful and if you're working 12 13 hour days and then you see it before going to work then you might drift off a little bit in the middle and it will sort of almost add to the film i think i missed about five (laughs) minutes just after the 3d transfer and i woke up not quite knowing where i was and the fact that i woke up in a 3d film (laughs) (laughs) oh fucking hell what's going on it was all a big pov shot down in a load of mines at the time (laughs) very weird quite a quiet cinema um but yeah it's absolutely beautiful and uh, yeah i can't recommend it highly enough oh man i wish i'd been there for that that
1: is that is a classic dan tale um yeah brilliant uh right uh next on my list is another classic dan tale burning uh which hey. was uh, on your list last year dan uh and it got a uk release this year um and i actually haven't seen this one on enough lists from this year um, that was beautiful. Yeah, it is a magnificent film. It's a masterpiece. Uh, yeah. One of the best scripts I've ever experienced. Beautifully shot. It's got a wonderful score and just next-level insane performances. Um, it's an existential exploration of loneliness and obsession but with the accessibility of a Netflix true crime documentary series. Um, so definitely not broccoli cinema or, or vegetable cinema. It is truly entertaining. Um, I love it so much. And if you haven't caught burning either last year or this year, then please hunt it out. You will just have such a, a joyful few hours watching that film. Um, it's, it's wonderful and that is it on that Dan what's next I'm going to stop singing what's next for you I don't know why I started doing that
0: <laughs> oh, I um, like it it's
1: nice. <laughs> but yeah what what have you got on your list next
0: it's a little bit on this list but more when we get to the decade there's a lot of dream logic coming up so I like that you're just singing randomly it feels, feels appropriate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, next up number three uh, I th- again it's another one I've mentioned relatively recently it's another one where I really want to watch it again and get a bit of distance between myself and it but it just far Blew me away. It's either out now by Arrow, or it's coming out very early next year by Arrow. I think it's already out. It's called Aniara uh, by Peya Kagaman and Hugo Lilja. Um, Lilja. It's um, it's a sci-fi. It's uh, it starts very similarly uh, to a, uh, an old 50s sci-fi I was talking about on the projection booth with Jen recently. Um, called Creation of the Humanoids. It starts with a montage of Earth being destroyed. Creation of the Humanoids just starts with footage of nuclear explosions. This starts with, like, burning forests and, uh, you know, documentary footage of animals and, like, toxic waste spills. It's, it's quite hard going. This goes a step further in that it actually has a full end credit scroll after this, so it starts at the end, figuratively and literally, uh, because it then cuts to uh, a, a ship leaving Earth for Mars, um, as the people who are able to escape, the people who've survived, are, um, uh, are being taken away in one of these massive, like cruise ships, like the size of. You know the Isle of Wight or something. These huge, huge ships leaving Earth, uh, and the, um, the the cast is peppered with people with with real um, sort of burn scarring and physical deformities because they uh, they represent you know what's been happening on Earth. But but like the rest of the film, which really doesn't they didn't build any sets. They just use sort of modernist architecture and interesting spaces. A little bit of CGI for adding screens to stuff and that kind of thing um, to create this amazing sci-fi space. And uh, they hit a piece of debris when they're leaving Earth's atmosphere. They have to jettison all of their fuel to stop an explosion happening, which means they're now drifting. And uh, the captain comes out and says, Don't worry it was going to take us 3 weeks to get to mars uh we're just going to have to drift until we hit a celestial we get into the orbit of a celestial body and we can slingshot off and recorrect our course so we'll be fine but it might might take a month or two so there'll be a little bit of rationing but don't worry everything's going to be fine and then the rest of the movie plays out like a sort of interstellar lord of the flies <laughs> on this spaceship and it again it deals with a lot of very heavy uh themes um it's got some really fucking horrific and astonishing moments in it it's just a wonderful movie and the ending was just took my breath away. It was, I think. In it, we've said this a lot, a lot. It's been a very, very strong year for film. I think in in a lot of other years this would have been my top film of the year, um, but it's just been so good this year. So yeah, yeah uh, Aniara is is fucking great. Pick that up from Arrow.
1: Yeah, we probably should um, at some point mention like the also runs the ones that didn't kind of make. it oh, into Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, because one that didn't make it into mine was High Life. And um, yeah, there's definitely parallels there. And Dan, you should definitely watch High Life. Honestly, um,
0: I'll give it a go. I've heard I've it. heard people saying I'd love it, and I've heard people saying I'd hate it. So I'll be interested to see where I stand on it. Who told you
1: that? Oh, let's not go into that because our heads <laughs> don't
0: know don't know your friends. Um,
1: but yeah, no, uh, trust me. Um, if you like the, the uh, Aniara, then then you'll you'll love High Life. I think. Uh, have you right. seen Have you seen Aniara? I have. Yes.
0: Oh yeah
1: i love it so much uh and so uh on to my next film uh, it is uh, my number four uh, of my favorite films of 2019 and it is the irishman now it's kind of a really kind of obvious pick uh on on a surface level um loads of people have put the irishman into their top 10 of the year and regular listeners will know how prejudiced I am against Netflix. Uh, however, <laughs> they did allow um, Martin Scorsese to, to make his kind of passion project that he's been trying to make for years and years. So I have to respect them for that. And, uh, you know, I've had kind of a tough year. Um, I lost one of my parents earlier this year and I haven't actually seen a film that resonated with the, some of the feelings I had during that traumatic time more than the irishman um i honestly believe that the final 40 minutes of this film is the most transcendent material scorsese's ever put to screen um in a very kind of specific way like more so than silence even uh, and I, i'd say that it's kind of i don't know it kind of sums up a lot of different things that, that scorsese's been exploring over his career but kind of in a new way that comes from age, I think. Um, Like if you watch this back-to-back with Goodfellas, they're almost the same film. Um, There's really interesting crossovers. Um, You know, the opening tracking shot of The Irishman kind of parallels with a couple of tracking shots in Goodfellas, Um, but where, say, Henry Hill walks through a bar and, and it's a tracking shot showing how many people he knows, um in the irishman the tracking shot is kind of looking for people that it recognizes and finding no one because there's no one left um and so god i'm getting choked up just talking about it now uh fuck yeah uh it really really hit me especially the last 40 minutes um and yeah if you can sit down and watch it in one sitting uh you'll get so much more from it than watching it kind of broken up into pieces again i'm sure if you're listening to this you definitely saw the irishman uh, almost as soon as it landed on netflix but i felt like i had to include it in my top 10 because it had such an impact on me and uh because you know of that unique perspective i have on it so i will stop talking now and dan what is your next pick please
0: i want to talk about the irishman a bit more um (laughs) (laughs) I think what's really interesting about it compared to Goodfellas is that Goodfellas was made at someone who's kind of like coming up in their life, and uh, The Irishman is someone looking back on the choices they made and what it may have cost them along the way. Yeah, and it's a it's a sort of a treatise on on age sacrifice and priorities things that seemed important at the time versus what seems important later and i think that that's why it's more emotionally charged than some of his other films because i think people going into the irishman wanting it to be goodfellas from the like fun rompy violent end might be disappointed but i think that as a as a as a piece of uh, sort of like human art it's probably got a lot more to offer than goodfellas Totally, um, and
1: and what's really interesting is that, um, yeah, you've kind of defined something for me in saying that, like, with Netflix, with their kind of original movie stuff, um, a lot of kind of uh, blockbusters and, you know, corporate cinema movies feel like they've been made by committees, um, whereas kind of the Netflix originals where they're working with auteurs or whatever you want to call them you know people who have a body of work and, and and a reputation and stuff they're kind of giving them money to make more personal movies i feel like the irishman is super personal to scorsese i think you know he he's riffing on exactly as you say goodfellas is also about almost a director coming up. Like, Goodfellows was a massive turning yeah. point for Scorsese. Obviously, you know, he had the reputation based on, on Raging Bull and, and uh, you know, After Hours was a bit of a flop and King of Comedy was, wasn't was um, a big hit at the time. Um, but Goodfellas was kind of a, a massive breakout for him. And I feel like he's used this opportunity of of being allowed to have a more personal voice that you would normally attribute to as I keep banging on about, indie filmmakers um, who kind of work with the low budgets that allow them to really express themselves. Um, and so, yeah, it's this mixture of large-scale filmmaking with this really personal um, exploration of, you know... Uh, uh, Scorsese said that this could be his last film. I don't think it will be, but it kind of would be a perfect endpoint. point. Um, because it it really is about where Scorsese is in his life and his career now, I I feel. Um, So, yeah, there's so much to it. And um, I think it does hold up to a a second watch as well um, and a third watch and a fourth watch and and all the rest of it. There's a lot of layers there. So, uh, yeah, the Irishman. uh, Thank you
0: for continuing that conversation, Dan. What is next for you? not at all. one last Irishman thing. Because <laughs> 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 to, to, it's not it's not on my top ten. Um, I did really, really enjoy it. It's been a difficult year to choose ten from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's so good. Yeah. Um, I uh, I got to see it at the Prince Charles. Uh, Tony Clark, t- Psychotronic Tony, and I went along to see it at the Prince Charles. And it was lovely to see a a pack cinema for a film that long yeah um and be a film that long not have people go to the loo all the way through it which yeah, is yeah. indicative of how much it sort of transfixes an audience yeah but i would i would say i was very glad i didn't see it on netflix right because i don't i think there were a couple of moments where maybe i would have faltered if i'd had the opportunity to pause it or the hadn't been involved in that social contract and not looking this, at Twitter or this
1: is exactly the point and yeah
0: yeah, and so I do think that as as lovely as the accessibility of Netflix makes things, if you are lucky enough to find somewhere that is still, you know, does a retro screening of it, and I think that will still happen, I think Netflix will allow that, um, do go and see it at the cinema, because it's such a big screen movie.
1: And And we're now getting back into my prejudice against Netflix, because they are essentially glorified TV movies uh, unless they do have the the proper cinema runs. And, you know, every day, Dan, I go to war in the fight for cinema um, to preserving the cinema experience, the cinematic experience. And I do think that Netflix is the enemy most of the time, but it's hard to hate them totally when, when they are going to get films like this made and, you know, I haven't watched Marriage Story yet, but I've heard great things about that. And again, that sounds like another uh, very personal film. So and Six
0: it, Under? Yeah, Six Underground. <laughs> yeah, six yeah. Underground. Ex- I mean,
1: th- we are really seeing <laughs> Michael Bay's Heart and Soul in that movie. I haven't watched it yet.
0: Um, it. This is the movie I always wanted to make.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> look, there, is. this is the point. Like, for every Marriage Story or, um, you know, The Irishman or, or, like, for every Uncut Gems that that netflix supports they are going to keep churning out stuff like six underground and and bright and all that so i think they're still finding their way and i just truly hope that um, they fall on the side of uh being a place a home for for great directors who, who want to tell stories that don't have a home in the the mainstream uh rather than deciding hey we're just gonna make TV movie blockbusters and you know Netflix is gonna be the same as as multiplexes which are filled with um blockbusters. So yeah, let's see where they fall. But uh I would like to support things like The Irishman. So so there we go. Dan,
0: enough. What's next from you? Uh it's another film I saw at one of my Bell Lightbox uh sleep deprived matinee screenings uh in like March may whatever it was an end month near the beginning of the year um it's Zhang jimu's shadow mm-hmm. which i uh, fuck has that even come out over here i think it has it's really beautiful it's long it's a very interesting martial arts film in that the first half of it feels like a japanese movie and the second half of it feels like a chinese movie or hong kong movie specifically it's absolutely lovely it's uh alternate title is ying uh, as in ying and yang ying y- Maybe it's yang. I can't remember now. It's one half of that. I think it's yang because it's yin, not ying, isn't it? Anyway, uh, it's the shadow that is of the the yin-yang, the the dark half of the yin-yang, and it's about identity and lies, and it's just unbelievably beautiful. Mm. It's almost in black and white, but not quite. There's some really beautiful grading and stuff, and it looks like they shot it proper full colour. Uh, so every, all of that is done in in post and it's it's really exceptionally good looking as a film uh, but it's also got like the the kind of gravitas and emotion that comes with a really really good like feudal asian film <laughs> that you just don't seem to find anywhere else and then in the last half it is just non-stop high-class hong kong action um yeah it's oh, it's beautiful lots of deceit lots of Twists and turns and betrayals uh, and lots of amazing mysterious weapons of China type invented weaponry. It's fucking great.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah, great. I I've seen stills from this one and obviously it's it's completely up my street. It looks it's
0: really, really beautiful. Oh, you'll love it so much, Sam.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to see it. I don't think it's out yet, but um I will get a hold of it when it is. Because
0: it's technically I, I almost didn't include it because it's technically a twenty eighteen film.
1: Right. So yeah. The fact
0: that it's not come out yet in the UK it's just when we get to the 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 best of the decade there's a there's a handful that still haven't been fucking released over here and so what I've tried to do is put together like where you can get everything yeah um for that list but yeah it's so with world cinema it can be it's so tricky with stuff like that just doesn't turn up yeah um it's absolutely fucking great
1: and my next pick will definitely be available uh on, on uh Blu-ray next year. Um it's another UK indie
0: and it is bait um have you seen bait Dan yet? I haven't I've seen it turn up on a few lists though I'm I'm very interested there was a there was a film UK indie called bait a couple of years ago yeah and I think initially I didn't realize it wasn't the same film right um I just thought it was like oh it's only just got a re- just, you know a physical media release or something like maybe I'd heard about it when it was doing the festivals but no it sounds it sounds very good I,
1: I think it's inevitably going to be on almost every uh top 10 list because it is so so special um it uses some of the oldest filmmaking techniques to tell one of the most urgent stories um it's kind of about the perils of gentrification in coastal towns um and it's about much more than that but um and it, it's uh, you know just to to harken back to the discussion we had earlier it is not a broccoli movie it is not a vegetable movie um despite the fact that, you know, it it uses archaic filmmaking techniques to uh, create this black-and-white experience that should be alienating. But actually, it brought in a a pretty big audience. It it made uh, a very decent amount of money in the UK, Um, and I would recommend it to to people listening uh, everywhere in the world Um, because, you know, it's truly unique and politically invigorating, um, and, and really, it's the kind of film that could have only have been made in the UK independent system. Um, it does have. If I actually no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I almost um, celebrated myself again, but I'm not going to do that this time. <laughs> I'm focus on bait. <laughs> um, you know, uh, corporate studios think that audiences are uh, lazy and dumb, but if all you feed them is fast food, they'll get fat. Uh, but bait is uh, a home cooked dining experience. Um, probably some kind of fish dish uh i've let this metaphor (laughs) get away from me but what i'm saying is um bait is as captivating as a blockbuster and it will stay with you longer than the duration of an opening weekend it is a really really special film made really really unusually i'm not going to actually talk about kind of the the most unusual elements of it um because i do worry that maybe that might be off-putting i don't know but um it takes a while to kind of get your head into its world because it does something very very different um do you mean the shark in the supermarket the shark in the supermarket no <laughs> uh, it, it's not that big it's kind of out of kind of necessity um it's to do with the sound but i've already said too much um just Go and watch it, It will, or buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray. It will absolutely hypnotise you. Um, and it's just, in all these years of cinema, there are still unique experiences to be had, uh, and Bait is definitely one of them. And I spoke with the director, Mark Jenkin, and I asked him uh, what his favourite film of 2019 was, and here's what he had to say.
2: My film of the year would have to be The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers. I was lucky enough to see it twice this year. I saw it first at the London Film Festival in a very sleep-deprived state. I just had got off a boat night crossing back from France and saw it um, at the Odeon Tottenham Court Road in a a sort of sleep-deprived, pretty insane state of mind. And to be honest... I did fall asleep a couple of times just because I was so exhausted and it was a really amazing way to see the film. But I don't really know whether I fully experienced what I imagined the director wanted me to experience. But anyway, a couple of days later, I was at a film festival in Ghent in Belgium and it was screening there. So um, I was a guest there. So they organized the festival got me into a screen in there in a huge theatre in a 500-seater theatre and I was in the front row in the middle um and I was wide awake this time and it absolutely blew me away just I have not experienced the sort of turmoil and sheer joy of watching something in the cinema since since a long... well, actually since seeing In Fabric which Peter Strickland's In Fabric which I have to say would come a close second um But I think just for pure cinematic uh, exhilaration, um, it would have to be Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. So another pick
1: for The Lighthouse there. And yeah, if next year you can double bill Bait and The Lighthouse, I think that would be just the most perfect double bill ever. Um, So yeah, Uh, Dan, what is next for you?
0: So next is my number four because I missed it because I can't keep track of my own list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad. So I like—I just like a delineated narrative, Sam. You know that about uh, me, yeah, yeah, like, I do. You know, I, like, I like you know. Oh my goodness, that backstory is just coming now at the third act. It's amazing. It's—it's uh, it's Parasite. It's a really obvious one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Bong Joon Ho, uh, obviously, it's fucking incredible. It's had a few preview screenings around the UK. Uh, the Curzon did some lovely Q uh, and A. Q&A with director bong and uh, and a writing class with him as well uh it's gonna get a wider release early next year believe the hype it's great i to be honest it's not my favorite bong Jun ho picture but it's so fucking good uh, i think the reason it's so widespread loved is because he's made a few like western sacrifices he's, he's made it a bit more accessible right which is is the thing that nudges it down the list of his stuff for me but i think that it will make it much more widely uh, enjoyed it, so it, even if you are maybe slightly uh, put off by or intimidated by asian cinema um it's a it's a good entry point to the sort of the 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 mad end of their genre stuff without being problematically mad i don't want to say anything about the story uh i tried to not even look at the poster too much before i saw it uh it's yeah it's just fucking great it's really good
1: <laughs> brilliant yeah uh i i haven't seen it yet so um I know that will be on my list next year because it's actually yeah it's getting the UK release next year, isn't it? Uh, so I will be able to include it. Hooray!
0: Well, it's not. It's had it's had non-festival screenings here. Curzon's uh, shown three. Yeah, they like, did, like, general like general release screenings.
1: They did kind of special screenings um, and they did like surprise screenings as well. But its official release date is is next year. So. Um, Don't think that you've missed it, dear sweet Arrowhead. It's still Oh, no, no, it's definitely
0: going to be there on the big screen. And it is a very beautiful film, so it's very much worth seeing on the big screen if you can as well. Great. So
1: number two for me is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um... And I think, I mean, this almost guarantees that me and Dan aren't going to have any crossovers because I know this won't be on his list. Um, I think you liked it, but you didn't really connect to it massively. There's elements to it you liked. Is that fair to
0: say? Yeah, I, I, had, a, I had a lovely time watching it. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, 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 it's very. He's a very adept filmmaker. His actors are fantastic. His dialogue is fucking great, obviously. It just wasn't quite top ten for me.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it was number two for me. Um, I think it's up there with Jackie Brown in terms of being like tarantino's most mature work uh i'd kind of be hard pressed to pick between the two of them but uh this was a a really reflective year for american auteurs sorry to use that word dan um but yeah tarantino Ah. and scorsese both made films that would work as the end point of their careers um which is really interesting like it's it's nostalgic it's poignant it's deeply moving for me anyway um like i i was in heaven watching this film on the big screen. Like I, I, could have lived in this world for another, you know, three, four, five, six hours. Like I could have just sat watching Brad Pitt drive around this, this world that Tarantino created, completely, practically, um, you know, for a whole day. Uh, that's how happy I was watching this film. And it also gave me my most cathartic experience in the cinema this year, thanks to the truly perfect ending, uh, which was divisive but um uh yeah let's have an off mic conversation yeah yeah for me for me it was perfect um tarantino means a lot to me his influence kind of directly led to me making my own movies you know when i was younger tarantino was kind of the first screenwriter director superstar that um i i was aware of um and and yeah you know i i bought his scripts, I got the Reservoir Dogs um, Mr Blonde box set on VHS for Christmas one year Um, and yeah I think there are a lot of filmmakers and also a lot of podcasters who got into kind of deep level exploitation cinema because Tarantino led the way Um, and he's still the only author who's, who's creating exploitation movies with that blockbuster appeal um so yeah he has found a way to work within the studio system and he will be massively missed by me and others when he retires on his 10th movie i'm still not sure who the next tarantino will be yeah dan who is the next tarantino
0: no let's talk about what's <laughs> upon a time in hollywood you throw over to me hard and i just dodge it and we're going to keep on talking about this um yeah, I, I don't really remember what I was going to say. Oh yeah, no, I wanted to to talk about the just the the like the part Tarantino played in early cineast life because we're the same age. Um, yeah, I remember when there was all that furor about Reservoir Dogs not getting a proper cinema release, like you know when people were refusing it one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the Harbour Lights in Southampton, which was my sort of nearest art house cinema, had yeah. special dispensation screenings occasionally. Um, all the way into the run-up to it, getting that that mainstream release, so I, I got to see it like a little early compared to most UK people. Like you know, compared to most people, most UK people I knew who you know other teenagers, and it definitely you know made a massive impact on me. It yeah. really it really blew me away. He's heard, you know, while I I loved cinema before that, I that was yeah. like you. I think it's probably one of the one of the times I sort of like that a director's name really sort of stuck um, early on exactly yeah it it yeah that's exactly and so he's been it, yeah. there throughout our our film watching life and you know and then going into our film making lives as well, so you know, I certainly don't doubt his importance
1: yeah and and yeah. it's exactly that dad like you know obviously we both grew up watching movies probably before we can even remember watching them um it's certainly that for me um you know like my parents talked about taking me to see films that I don't really remember um but you know, like my first cinematic memory is probably seeing Return of the Jedi on the big screen when I was like five, um, and being pissed off because I'd gone to the loo when uh, the Atats were on screen, apparently, and my sister made, <laughs> made fun of me as a result because I loved Atats. I, I just, um, yeah, it's built into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and my love of that movie, is that sense that, you know, fuck. Tarantino's career is coming to an end, and we are going into the end of something cinematically. The industry is changing. Um, I'm not sure if we would get a, a Reservoir Dogs in the same way. Um,
0: no, people are much better at checking intellectual property these days.
1: <laughs> right. Let's get into this. <laughs> right. I knew. I yeah. knew you couldn't hold out um, before <laughs> criticising that. But obviously, Tarantino. Um, you know homages stuff and riffs on stuff and all of that you know it's it's one of the biggest talking points uh, about him but i really do feel that he um it's kind of part of the whole recommendation thing that he does like he's kind of leading you by the hand to these films both by how much he talks about them but also how much um he references and so you know the, the 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 dance scene in pulp fiction um which you know is from eight and a half or whatever um i i think it's the joy of sharing this stuff as opposed to oh i'm going to rip this off and no one's going to know um i think he makes it obvious enough that that um that is more a celebration than than you know exploitation in that way i don't know i know you have different thoughts because of some things that he said earlier in his career um but
0: well like claiming not to have seen city on fire when reservoir dogs was playing at sundance i mean that's the thing i think as he's gone on he's sort of gone oh fuck people don't mind as long as i'm honest about it it's fine
1: yeah I, I, i i genuinely don't um i genuinely haven't seen him deny seeing City on Fire or being influenced by it. I'm not disbelieving you. I'm just saying that I personally haven't seen those comments, so I can't really talk about them. What I will say, if those comments are out there, is that he was a new filmmaker. It was his first movie. He was probably scared. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He was scared. Well, to... but
0: it's, Yeah, because it's a scene-for-scene scene remake <laughs> of it, the second
1: it, half of another film. This, this, the second half, yes, but also... I I can watch those films in a double bill and not be like, oh, fuck, I've just watched the same film twice. He puts so much of his own personality into it and that script is unreal. And those performances are unbelievable. And the casting is insane. Like, as a first film, Reservoir Dogs... It's still, you know, I I, I sort of switch between Reservoir Dogs and another film in terms of what my favourite Tarantino movie is. I think it's an unbelievable movie. So I I don't think that, you know, how much it's influenced by City on Fire uh, sort of denigrates it and as a starting point for a career that is kind of built on referencing other stuff um, in in a more complicated and intricate way as he's kind of gone along. I I, I don't really mind it too much, but... um, but yeah, anyway, we've waffled again. Dan, unless you want to come um, back to that. Last, last, last little bit, last yeah, little
0: yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, I, I assume there's a short film called Who Do You Think You're Fooling? Have you seen it? Uh, I have not, no. So Who Do You Think You're Fooling? is directed by Mike White of the Projection Booth podcast, which I actually only discovered that he directed it uh, a few days ago. Uh, I, was, I saw the short film on a VHS a friend had years and years back. And I remember um, either it includes a clip of Kurt Loder announced from MTV News back in the day um, uh, talking about who do you think you're fooling. So maybe it's not in the film. That's very hard to place. Anyway, he is he's the person that is talking about Tarantino having denied seeing it. I'll see if I can find it. Um, it's a really good short film. I'm sure it's online. Um, uh, and it's essentially just cross cuts between Reservoir Dogs and City on Fire. Although he did a second one with things bef- again before Tarantino, sort of really post Jackie Brown, but before Tarantino was fully embracing the idea that he was sort of "quote unquote" homaging all these pictures, um, I think Mike did a second one, just called "Who Do You Think You're Fooling?" Too, but yeah, but check out "Who Do You Think You're Fooling?" And I think it's got that. I think it's got that quote in it. Although like it's again, it's, it's reported. It's not from Tarantino's lips. So,
1: uh, like, like I say, I, I you know I, I haven't seen it myself. I haven't seen him say it. I haven't seen it written down. I will watch this video, but to me personally just because of a few factors, I I don't really mind if he has said that, Um, because he has evolved over the course of his career. He has, as you say, been more open and honest. And as I say, there's a chance that he was just, oh, fuck, you know, shit, I need to deny this. I thought no one would ever have seen this apart from me, because, you know, these were in the days where um, these things were, uh, it was more diehard cineasts that had seen City on Fire as opposed to you know the the mainstream american or global audience yeah, yeah, yeah. so um and maybe he panicked and just said something in the moment you know we've all said things that we regret uh maybe i've said something in this podcast that i regret i don't know but <laughs> um I, I will go easy on him in that respect just for me personally but i understand why you have a problem with it
0: right what is next just, to you? are you on your number I'm, one i'm just gonna yeah i'm on my number one i'm just gonna correct myself it's called who do you think you're fooling not who do you think you are all ah, right if you yeah. want to check it out. Cool. But yeah, I'm on to my on to my number one. Um if you've been following the the podcast throughout the year, uh, it's another one I've already mentioned. I was so uh, emphatic about how much I loved it at the time. If you remember that, then you can probably predict what it's going to be. It's Alexandra franci's Happy Face. Uh it played at Fright fest I don't know who's releasing it. I love it so much. Um it's the only film that's really fucking broken me emotionally this year <laughs> which is uh you know impressive uh it's absolutely beautiful uh, a recap of the plot i have mentioned it before um a young man joins a help group a group therapy session for people dealing with physical deformities and how that makes them uh how that has changed their life in the world the people in the group are played by people who genuinely have uh, those issues themselves. It was a reading a review on IMDb of the film by one of the guys who was in it, um, talking about how much it had meant to him uh, to be involved in the project that made me give it a go because I had initially worried I might find it a little distasteful because of that, like, you know, talking about modern exploitationism. Um, but it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it shares some cast members with another film which was on my long list, didn't quite make the cut, um, called Chained for Life, which is just amazing, which is out from Anti-Worlds um, on physical media, uh, the, either now or early next year, uh, which is also worth checking out, but um, but plays with a lot of similar themes. But yeah, Happy Face just fucking pulled my heart out of my face. It's an astonishing film. Um, and ev- yeah, everyone in the cinema, when we saw it, it, was, it wasn't a massive screen, but everyone at Fry Face was just fucking bawling by the end of it. <laughs> um, it's a It's a wonderful, wonderful film.
1: Great. Yeah, uh, and again, I haven't seen it yet. I don't I don't think it's had a release yet. So, um, yes, I will see it as soon as I'm able to. Um, it, yeah, I, I've read quite a lot and heard quite a lot from people about this one. Um, yeah, I think it's as you say, the, the whole audience was profoundly affected by this film. So I, I've, got, oh, yeah. I've got to see what, what caused that reaction. Um, my number one also got uh, a major reaction out of Fright Fest, Glasgow and London, um, though uh, it was more of a giddy, joyous reaction rather than uh, an emotionally broken reaction. But Here Comes Hell is my number one of 2019. Uh, Now, this brilliant film is the very essence of the indie spirit. It was crowdfunded by its audience, who definitely got more than they paid for, with self-taught director Jack McHenry creating a truly joyous experience. Uh, There are just so many fun and exciting ideas in this film. It's a combination of of indie restrictions, which I think is an important element of what makes films like this special. Um, The fact that you have to work within those restrictions of of a low budget. Uh, Pure imagination and sheer determination to create an entertaining cult movie um i want to spend the rest of my life supporting films like this whether that's through hosting screenings or helping with acquisitions or even just providing audio commentaries as i did for this release um i really enjoyed putting together the commentary for this one um because the more you know about the making of here comes hell the more impressive it is so yeah if you haven't seen it watch it it's on dvd with my commentary i'll tweet a link Uh, and if you've made a film like it, please get in touch with me so I can watch it and do whatever I can to help you in my role at Hex. Um, Yeah, uh, I just want to support
3: films like this because um, films like this make me very happy. Hello, my name is Jack McHenry. I'm the director of Here Comes Hell. I've picked three films of this year that are my three favourite movies. They are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Cruel and The Irishman, I've picked these three films because they were the movies that really, uh, when I saw them in the cinema, they were the ones that really got me excited about the cinematic you know, art form and it gets you inspired to make or try to make movies and you know, keep going. I mean, it feels like just, it's fun to see a really great monster movie which was a perfect reason why you should go to the cinema and sit front row and eat popcorn. It was a great popcorn movie. That was so much fun to see. Uh, Or to see this epic saga directed by one of the best directors of our time with some of the most amazing performances of the year. The Irishman, obviously. And then the, 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 the kind of mad genius of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All these movies felt as if they had a personal voice and they weren't directed by a committee, which is so rare now when there's so many kind of, you know, uh, spin-off remakes and all that kind of crap. These movies felt like they were made by people who love cinema for cinema goers. And I think that's a really important thing. We should, you know, cherish that. Uh, Quick side note, though. uh, I am really looking forward to seeing uh, Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, because it, ha- it hasn't come out in England yet, it's been doing festivals and I haven't seen it yet. So that's the movie I'm most looking forward to uh, next year. Uh, thank you, and uh, have a happy new year,
1: Dan. What shall we do now? <laughs> what on <laughs> Dan, earth? What's your now?
0: number? We've run out. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Should we before we get into extra features and, and the top ten of the decade and, and, and all that? Shall we round off by talking about what's in store for us in 2020?
0: Uh, yeah, let's do what, it.
1: What have you got? I know you've, you've been working on a lot of exciting things. What will we see? I, know, I mean, one of them that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you into this, Dan, by asking you to talk about Possessor because I'll be able to see that
0: next year. And I'm yeah, sure it will be on my list. I think you will. It's opening at Sundance, which is very exciting, and yeah. not in the genre slot or midnight slot or whatever they call it. It's in foreign dramatic cinema. Foreign because it's Canadian. Which is amazing because i think that audience does not know what they're in for
1: <laughs> fantastic
0: um i saw it for the first time a couple of days ago uh, the thing i said earlier uh, about little more flesh it's funny having next year's next decade's number one film already figured out is a reuse of a joke i made about possessor <laughs> yeah it absolutely fucking blew me away i i am sorry to say no one else is going to be able to have the experience i had watching it because i went to go and see the final sound mix being test screened and uh, so i got to sit on my own in the Delane Lee test theater wow <laughs> com- completely alone with this, like, thumping bass. Martin Pavey, uh, who I've worked with a number of times and is a, a wonderful gentleman, both as a, as a human and as an artist, um, but who did Free Fire and uh Field in England with Ben Wheatley, um, did the sound uh, sound design and final mix on this. And so, as you might expect, the gunshots sound like you're... You know, feel like you're being shot in the chest. They're so bassy and punchy. Some of the sound stuff he's done, some of the techniques, and these will come out as the, as the film... Makes its way publicly, so I won't spoil that, but some of the some of the recording methods and, and mixing methods he's used for it are are completely unique and just absolutely astonishing with what they've achieved. But everybody involved in the film uh, has done so well. It is just Oh, it's just fucking wonderful. (laughs) I'm basically just going to be going on about it forever now. Um, Perfect. I want to hear you go on about it forever. Unbelievably proud of it. Brandon is a lovely, unassuming man with a fucking amazing mind. Um, And, yeah, uh, Karim Hassan's photography is absolutely fucking amazing from you know using the newest most incredible tech available to us all the way through to like old french zoom lenses which have got like cultivated mold growing between the glass which gives a look to, to some of the shots it's oh my god it's just fucking incredible sam it's so good
1: <laughs> oh, i honestly can't wait to see it and i hope brandon won't mind me telling this story i'm sure he won't um at, at, at can earlier this year i was uh drinking outside uh, the Petit Majestique which um for anyone who hasn't been to Cannes is uh, basically the place where um a lot of the kind of certainly the UK people gather but also a lot of indie filmmakers and you know slightly above that as well um it's basically where all the down-to-earth cool people go right down uh, the painting, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I was there um, having a drink, and I I got chatting to um, a very lovely, soft-spoken young man um and asked him what he was doing at Cannes and he told me that he had a short film in the festival and obviously the short film corner at Cannes is is for the real up-and-comers because you kind of pay to have your film in there um and so yeah if anyone says uh oh my short film has been selected for Cannes they're lying they've paid for it to be there um and so yeah i was like oh okay great lovely student filmmaker and so uh, i gave him my time and i was you know trying to support him <laughs> uh, with what <laughs> i was saying and all that kind of thing and he says oh you know can i buy you a drink and i was like no 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 i'm fine thank you but no um because i'm like i don't want to take money from some struggling artist who's, who's paid to have their film at Cannes. and anyway he goes off to get his drink and uh heather buckley i think turns to me and says do you know who that is and i was like oh no i don't but he's really nice and she's like yeah that's brandon cronenberg and i was like oh my god uh and then it dawned on me that yes no he hadn't paid to have his short film in short film corner can had <laughs> asked him to bring test footage from possessor to the festival to show uh, um,
0: it's actually no he had the test footage in the market but the short film he's talking about is please speak slowly and describe that's your experiences it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as they come to you which had been selected for i think is it director's fortnight that's it exactly yeah he's yeah fucking in yeah like it's crazy he, yeah is... he was definitely a guest
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so that was slightly embarrassing but um but yeah you know it shows how down to earth and and sweet he is that i just assumed that he was a uh, I'm an unassuming young filmmaker but uh yeah
0: when when brandon cronenberg says do you know who i am he's genuinely asking and is just worried he's upset you yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm i'm oh i'm sorry uh do, do you know who i am yeah no he's he's uh, yeah he's one of the nicest people in the world and one of the most ego-free people <laughs> and so what else have you got in 2020 dan um, so, Color Out of Space, the Richard Stanley picture that I did at the beginning of this year, uh, which is has incredible. had some screenings at festivals and so on, but yep. is going to be getting a wider release in the early stages of 2020. Um, similarly, 101 Films have The Girl on the Third Floor, which I did for Travis Stevens yep. um, at the end of the year before this. Uh, end of last year so summer of last year um i just finished on another picture for queensbury pictures who did Gun on the third floor called broadcast signal intrusion which i was lucky enough to get to direct some sequences for and i've Um, seen those
1: sequences and they are fucked up
0: Um. (laughs) Uh, yeah that was that was really uh that was really nice um so that uh is just entering the final stages of post-production now so, yeah, I reckon that's going to be festival circuiting next year. Um, that's right. called Broadcast Signal Intrusion. I have another picture with them lined up, hopefully for next year, called Double Alt, um, which we'll be doing. Um, there's Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the plate, which is very exciting. It's been a busy year. It's been a good year for watching and a good year for working. It's really, yeah... Yeah, absolutely.
1: Really yeah, and, and so it's it's been similar for me uh, in terms of working. I, I made my second film a little more flesh uh, this year. And uh, dear, sweet, precious Arrowhead, you sitting there listening to this will be able to see it at the Starburst International Film Festival on either the 13th of March or the 14th of March, it's not confirmed uh, what day it's going to land on, but those are the days of the festival, um, and that's in Manchester. So the film will have its world premiere there, uh, and then I'll see what I do with it kind of after that. But I've heard incredible things about the festival. Uh, Apparently the atmosphere is amazing, and it's really supportive of indie talent, so I can't wait to get amongst that. Um, And then I'll also be shooting my third film in the new year, uh, which is called The Church of Wild Animals. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking about that one uh, on the podcast next year. Yeah, I'm working with uh, a, a, a kind of new screenwriter named Lauren Nasri and her ideas are kind of incredible so i'm really excited to to get started on pre-production and then production and post-production so that will be my year next year i think in terms of uh, film working um getting the church of wild animals done But yeah, it should be an exciting year for both of us. And hopefully for you, dear, sweet, precious Arrowhead, why not drop us an email and tell us what you're going to be working on or what you're looking forward to seeing at the cinema next year. And we will uh, read out any emails that you send us on the first episode of 2020, which is going to be, Dan. What now? (laughs) The first episode of 2020. Do you know what we're doing?
0: Yeah, no, I have no idea. We've we've talked about a bunch of stuff, and I can't remember which one it is. I, I think we've we got s- a- I think we said we'd do Old Boy, but we can do Exist Three. Oh, cool. Let's do Old Boy. Old boy! Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? No, let's do let's do Exist Three. Right.
1: So, is that okay? Totally okay. So we'll do Exist Three next time, dear sweet precious Arrowhead. So do buy that, and then we're going to be doing Old Boy after that. So not the whole Vengeance trilogy, but we'll, I'm sure we'll cover it in the episode. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Uh, right.
0: Shall we go into extra features? Extra features. Extra features. Oh no, no! Let's not go into extra features. Let's do a quick, uh, a quick also ran. Oh, let's God, do, yeah, Okay, with some other yeah. Bits and bobs. yeah, yeah. We're gonna do choose, choose like three or four, just to rattle them off. Tell yeah. why you love them. Go.
1: Right. Okay. Uh, Dan has put me on the spot for once. Uh, can you, do you want me to go first? No. High life. Uh, it's it's amazing. Hustlers, very entertaining. Rolling Thunder Review, another Scorsese Netflix thing about Bob Dylan that I enjoyed. Uh, ready or not, uh, yeah, that's it. You said three, didn't you? And that's, uh, I uh, said three or four.
0: What well, you that's, got, that's, that's that? four, four, bang on. Five, yeah, yeah, four. Four, four, Nice, good, 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 good. Um, okay, Chain for Life, I've already mentioned. Fantastic film within a film within a film within a film. Uh, super Dream Logic. Uh, Anti-World's putting it out. Physical Media, VOD next year. Uh, really worth checking out. The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil, Korean thriller uh pretty much like a pretty textbook uh korean thriller it's got a lot of the stuff you'd expect from it in it it's a it's a great movie um yeah worth checking out uh daniel isn't real arrow are putting out next year really enjoyed at fright fest um and knives and skin another fantastic film i saw at fright fest but uh got pipped slightly Um, yeah all really worth checking out
1: Yep, Daniel is a contender for me next year, and Harpoon as well is a contender for me next oh, year. Oh, yeah, Harpoon yeah. was great. Both films released by Arrow Video next year uh, that we saw at festivals that were really good. Right, good. Uh, shall we go into extra features? Extra features. Extra features. Right. Uh, Dan, now... We're
0: starting at 10, working our way up?
1: Uh, yes, but when we discuss this... Yeah. Uh we did say that it was just gonna be because we've already run for probably longer than our longest episode. So I don't yep. think we can do another rundown where we're talking about each film. I think No, we'll keep it keep it a bit briefer. Maybe, a bit briefer. maybe just explain um the sort of connectives or the theme of your top ten, and 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 then rattle them off.
0: I mean, the theme of the top ten is that they're the ten films I liked the most in the last decade. <laughs> well, <laughs> in the,
1: order, the, the theme for mine is because it's so fucking hard to. It's to impossible. Pick. It's so impossible. I, I had to narrow it down a little bit. I'm impressed. <laughs> the first that, that ten you films didn't.
0: you remembered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I. So mine, you'll be surprised. Actually, mine are going to be a, a lot more mainstream than I think you would probably expect. Um, these are films that I can see myself watching in another 10 years and still kind of enjoying as much and having the same kind of feelings about. Um, So that's kind of how I narrowed mine down. So, yeah, I think they're a lot more mainstream than you'd expect. And it's a lot of stuff that I don't think I've talked about on the podcast before. So... um, That's mine. But, Dan, uh, give us your top ten, please.
0: Well, so do you remember I said I wasn't going to include any films I'd worked on in my yearly top ten? Yes. And you remember I said there was a second half of that rule coming? Ah, yes. So this is pretty much ten years since the first film I designed hit cinemas. Oh, wow. So it's been a decade for me as a special effects designer as well. Beautiful. Um, And as such, I'm going to do my top ten of the decade. And I'll be quite quick and brief with all of them. But for each one of those, I will... And those are in order. Those are ten to one. But every time I say one of them, I'm also going to say a film I was very proud to have worked on in this decade. Those are in no particular order. Great. It's a little bit of a little bit of self. I'm brilliant. <laughs> well, but very, been, I'm...
1: very well deserved, Dan. You, you are brilliant. And you have been brilliant for, for more than Thank ten you. years.
0: So, yeah. Uh, let's, let's hear the list. So... Uh, number ten for the, uh, the 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 general list is Climax, which I mentioned last year and Sam mentioned this year, so I don't need to go into it too much. It's out on Arrow and it's a, a fantastic movie. Check it out. The the first one I'm mentioning from uh, the films I've worked on is a little indie sci-fi picture that did not get the uh, the release I think it really deserved because it is very small. Uh, called Native, it's a really beautiful uh, like relationship sci-fi a male and a female telepath are sent off planet because their telepath the entire race is telepathic and their connection they're both twins and their connection with their sibling is stronger than the telepathic link between any of the other people in their species and so they are able to continue to converse with their twin off planet they can still talk to them even though they're now off in the depths of space and that's how they talk to their home planet and they are they are going off with some kind of mission that will become more clear as the film goes on and they're in this sort of like concrete brutalist spaceship it's it's really beautiful um very very low budget but what they do with the money is uh really good and it was a, a lovely film to work on so yep that's it native there you go
1: uh we now uh, we're not taking turns on this because i literally just have a list so uh oh really yeah
0: because that is what so, we agreed uh um, i don't remember that bit okay so i will just do 20 films in a row cool so <laughs> number nine for the general list is yellow sea by Na hung jin uh came out in 2010 uh you can get it on blu-ray in england and america uh, and I think some uh, some European countries as well, France, Italy, have copies. I don't know what the subtitle situation is with them. Um, it's a it's a really really good Korean picture, and like a lot of things I like, it's uh, it's got a bit of a genre twist. Part way through, starts off quite like crime grime, uh, and ends up being a bit more actiony in the third act. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Sam, I think you've seen it. Yeah, we watched it together. Yeah, I say yeah, we watched it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, we both talked about it on the podcast. In the yeah, path. it's a fantastic movie. Um, and then my my personal film, again in no particular order, is A Wait for Further Instructions, which is another sci-fi picture I did. We shot it up in Yorkshire. Um, it's a very weird little Christmas film. Uh, it was on Netflix for a while. It may still be on Netflix uh it's about a family trapped inside their house by an otherworldly force over christmas and i strongly recommend watching that am i really going to do all of these in a row i can rattle through it
1: yeah just rattle through it uh, I, yeah um okay right. be, because so, it's of the decade i don't think we need to go into too much about what it's about yeah. i, loved, I okay. love you dan i love you i no, knew fine. i knew
0: this would happen <laughs> i'm revving up i'm revving up we'll go through it Number eight, uh, 2013, John McNaughton's The Harvest, a.k.a. Come Out and Play in the UK. Uh, it's got an American Blu-ray. I don't think it has an English Blu-ray. It's fucking great. Uh, it's about a boy who's visiting a child who's locked in their house by overprotective parents. Something else is going on. It's incredible. Don't read anything about it. Just watch it. My film that goes along with that is Human Centipede 2. Right. <laughs> uh, this, uh, number seven... I love
1: this now. I love this. <laughs> you saying it as fast as you can is my new favourite thing. So, yeah. Num-
0: <laughs> number seven from the decade is Jung Byung Gil's Confession of Murder, directed by the same person that did The Villainess, which is on Arrow. Uh, that's from 2012. That's got an American, Korean, and German Blu-ray. Does not have an English Blu-ray. I don't know if the German Blu-ray has English subs. Connected to that, sort of, is Lords of Chaos, that uh, Arrow obviously released. Very proud of that from last year. Um, number six from the decade is Kill List, Ben Wheatley, 2011. English Blu-ray... Uh English and American Blu-ray, very easy to find. Free Fire, I've put with that, also directed by Ben. Very pleased to have worked on that. Already mentioned it this time. Uh, number five, Prisoners by Dennis Villeneuve, 2013. English, American Blu-ray, fine. Going with that is in fabric, Peter Strickland. Super, super pleased to have worked with that. Would have been on my list for this year if I was allowing myself to do that, as would Lords of Chaos. Um uh, no, fuck's sake! Number four, <laughs> Green Room by Jeremy Solomon, uh, uh, 2015 UK US Blu-ray, no problem. Going along with that is High Rise, also Ben Wheatley. Uh, number three, November, Rainer Sarnet. I'm going to slow down a little bit for this one. I saw November like today and yesterday. It's uh, fuck. If I still feel about November the way I feel about it now, in in a month it may be higher up the list than number three for, for the decade. Like, it's a fucking astonishing film, and I am still shell-shocked from it. It's, it. It owes debts to Schwenkmeier and to Shakespeare and it's and Brothers Grimm, and it's just so fucking beautiful. It's, it's possibly one of the best-looking films I've ever seen in my life. But like I said earlier, it's very hard to be objective about these things until you've got a little bit of distance, and I literally finished it two hours before we started the podcast. So, yeah, uh, it's got an English and Amer- an and American Blu-rays. Get it. It's amazing. Uh, with that, uh, it's Fields in England. Uh, Draft House released it in the States. Film 4, I think, or Studio Canal released it in the UK, so you can get hold of that. Uh, ben Wheatley's Black and White, British Civil War, uh, psychedelia movie. Um, very proud of that Uh, number two for the decade is Borderlands by Elliot Goldner, it's the only film I worked on that's in my decade top ten I am astonished how much I still love it, I've seen it so many times now the last time I watched it I got to show it to Travis Stevens in the States when we were working on Girl on the Third Floor with a couple of other crew members and it was really lovely to be able to show it to them it's still one of those films that you can share with people uh, and and experience their reactions to it, Uh, anyone out there who's seen it, and I know there's a few of you um you'll know what i mean about that ending it's just beautiful uh air kiss there for you uh, audio <laughs> people and um uh yeah i'm oh, just fucking unbelievably proud of that film it's so good um uh but then next to that is journeyman uh, paddy constantine's picture which is out in the UK from Studio Canal. I don't know if it's got an American release. I assume it does, but I don't know. It didn't get the cinema numbers. Everyone thought it would, which is a real shame because it's fucking great. It's about a uh, boxer who suffers uh, a, brain, a blood clot in the brain and has to sort of bring himself back to humanity after the operation that robs him with a lot of, a lot of speech and motor functions and that kind of stuff. It's Quite a, quite a dry drama, but it's really, really good. Number one of the year is Ryu seung wangs Berlin File from 2013. It's got uh, Korean, Japanese, Italian, French, and Australian Blu-rays, but that's it. I've got the Korean Blu-ray. It's fucking gorgeous. Uh, I immediately bought another Korean Blu-ray and had it sent over to my father-in-law in the States because he's super into spy films. It's basically like 60% Jean Le Carre, 35% uh, Born Identity, and 5% Bond. It's, yeah, Ted Gagan, who did We Are Still Here, wrote the English dialogue for it which I found out later which is interesting but um, it's yeah it's a super twisty super complex quite deep and a little impenetrable at times spy thriller but with these moments in the way that Korea just doesn't fucking allow itself to stick to a single genre it then goes from this Tinker Taylor like minutiae of spy world through to like the most bombastic action it's got uh, any movie with a really well realised sniper sequence in it I'm gonna be predisposed to it's just a fucking great action film and the last one on my list that I worked on is the very opposite end of the spectrum. It's super weird and super non-mainstream, and it's Steve Oram's Ah! <laughs> which is out on Icon in the States. Uh, no, Icon in the UK. I don't know if it's got a U- US Blu-ray. But uh, yeah, Steve wrote an amazing sort of like dark comedy family drama uh, out as a script. All the actors learned it, and then he had them all uh, improvise monkey noises to represent the, n- the lines that they had learned. Um, there's no other film like it. Check yeah. That out. There you go. Fucking and, hell. And so, uh,
1: quick question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, now taking questions. So yeah. <laughs> I'm actually sweating. I'm, this is more of a this is more of a comment than a question. No, joking. Um, so <laughs> it's two part two part question, both comments. Exactly. So your um, your top ten list is from ten to one uh, of the decade. Yeah. Is your list of the films that you made yourself also in no. uh, order so right okay that's more they're they're, they're, they, they're, no paired, particular. they're kind of paired with the uh, right i whatever. tried
0: I, tr- I started out trying to pair them but i realized that that wasn't possible because i was working from a set like you know, you're. Tr- I'm, I'm. I'm not able to just make pairs of any movie. Yeah. I'm stuck with lists of ten, and it's very difficult. Got so it. just as I, you know, I've got twenty or thirty films that didn't quite make my decade list, and I've got three films, four films that didn't make my personal list. It's just yeah, it's just how it works.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, <sighs> just purely because I would be not to not. There's nothing against ah uh but i would be surprised if that was your your top project that you worked on
0: no and it's got nothing to do with berlin Fall. there's nothing con- to connect exactly. to berlin wall exactly. that, so that's just...
1: that's kind of what confused me but um i
0: just wanted to include it and i didn't know where else to put it <laughs> and i've been
1: got i've been it. working on this for days <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. No, I, I'm just, I, I'm trying to be the voice of the listener here. Um, no, that's and, all good. And, and expressing what they might be wondering about that. Yeah. Uh, so my top 10, uh, dear, sweet, precious Arrowhead, uh, for this, I'm going to do uh, my main top 10. I'm also going to do my also rounds because dan otherwise dan will have talked for much longer than i will um, i don't know you've and,
0: got all those interviews you cut in <laughs>
1: uh, I, no i'm not uh, those are just like sound files so oh, they're uh, just sound yeah, Oh okay yeah, yeah.
2: all right <laughs> okay
1: so my top 10 uh, from 10 to 1 i'm gonna start with be my cat a film for Anne, an amazing found footage movie i saw the devil baby driver green room the nice guys inside lewin davis the master the wolf of wall street Django, Unchained, and The Hateful Eight Tide. And then at number one, my top film of the decade is Mandy. Mandy, Mandy, Mandy. The film that I talked about a lot last year that I am still obsessed with. Um, I, I, I adore Mandy so much. So that is my number one of the decade. And some also ran. So we have Snowtown, Resolution, The Borderlands, Dan. It follows hey. Creep, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Unsane, The House that Jack built, Ex Machina, 13 Assassins, Hard to be a God, Shoplifters, Burning, Thelma, Song to Song, The Handmaiden, Hateful Eight, though I did just sneakily chuck that into the main one, Inherent Vice <laughs> and Under the Shadow, uh, all great movies. It has been a magnificent decade. Oh, it really wait. fucking has. I can't wait for the next decade to be full of films that you and I have made, Dan, because uh, I don't know how you feel about directing um, what, what you just directed, uh, and, and whether or not you want to carry on and, and do features and was, stuff like
0: that uh, yeah I mean you know I think everyone working in most people working anywhere in film who aren't directing have a, a little itch somewhere to direct um, and I've done shorts in the past but have, never yeah. never anything feature it's been it's been really nice I've directed a couple of things like little like either VT stuff or um, or, or second unit or some you know some scenes here and there this year and it's been very um, uh, very gratifying the stuff I did for broadcast signal intrusion, uh, I did with your friend and mine, James Swanton, uh, who's fantastic. Yeah, uh, who who came in and played a um a very interesting character for me. Uh, I won't say any more about yeah, exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. I was about to leave on you there. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, no, it's yeah, it's really nice, and I'd I'd love to do a bit more of that as as time goes forward. So I'm I'm hoping to to do a short this year. And, Great, you know, next year coming up. Um, I've got a couple of things written so we'll see what's workable schedule wise and and money wise Um, yeah it's man fuck it's been like looking back at the list choosing films there were films where I'm like fuck I can't believe that was 10 years ago Yeah, and then there were other films where I'm like fuck I can't believe that was as recent as 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, um, let's let's fill the
1: 2020s with films that we make that other people have to put on their lists and um yeah, let's make that a pact. Um right, we really are going to shut up now because I'm on one bar of battery and I was on three bars when we started this bloody conversation. But I will now say uh for the last time in 2019. Thank you so much for listening and we promise Oh no, no,
0: Sam, 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 social media. <laughs>
1: to be more professional
0: (laughs) right go on
1: If, if people still want our opinions after listening to 90 minutes of our opinions then yes i am at sam ashurst on twitter i am at sam ashurst 23 the number two the number three sam ashurst 23 on instagram Dan, what are you uh, I'm
0: at Thirteen Finger Effects. Uh, feel free to give me a shout if you have umbrage or questions with any of, of any of the things I mentioned in my incredibly fast rundown, uh, or if you want to know what my also rans were, because that's a ridiculous list. Also, um, thank you for being with us through 2019. It really yeah. has been an amazing year for film, um, and thank you to all of you who have interacted with us via email or social media. Um, it's been really, really gratifying to know that we're not just ranting into a void um obviously anything like this only works because people are listening to it so you mean a lot to us um i hope you have a lovely lovely christmas and an yeah. amazing new year and we'll see you in 2020
1: god yeah i absolutely echo those sentiments um you sitting there listening to this you right now uh dan and i consider you a friend uh for listening to we're talking to you mike uh no not mike <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no no also mike
1: that was a joke mike that was a joke
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no
1: um seriously uh to the precious arrowheads uh especially you um thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time we really do bye-bye
0: bye